the way you get through this, the way you deal with your pain, with your suffering in, 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 in this situation, confinement, right? Is you begin to help others. I'm Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick, founder of Grapevine Health and your host of the Grapevine Health Podcast, a podcast highlighting stories, health insights, and experiences of community members. We started this podcast because too often discussions and decision-making about health and the healthcare system don't include perspectives from the people we serve. So listeners, if you have a personal story or an experience from working in the community or on the front lines of healthcare, contact us and we might have you on the show. This week, I'm talking to Stuart Anderson, a community activist who sprang to action months ago to make sandwiches to feed the hungry people in his community. We talked to him about that and a lot more. So how many sandwiches have you made during the pandemic, if you had to guess? I'm sure you weren't keeping track. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um... True, man. On average, I know I was dropping off 75 to 100 every other day or so. That's one location, though, right? That was in Wingate. Because what happened was I then began to have distribution uh, locations where I, I, I developed people in the community who began to give out the stew stuff, right? So Julie Tut in Highland, um, Miss Juanita up at uh, Wingate and uh, Commissioner Dio came out and did some stuff and, and, and brought some seniors out when I was doing the hot meals for seniors. But to give you a figure of how many total, man, I started in March, man. I don't even know. You know? I know. You've been making sandwiches a long time. So <laughs> that's about, let's say it's about 300 sandwiches a week. And that's 1,200 sandwiches a month on average, and it's been almost a year. So it's been 10 months. So that's 12,000 sandwiches. That's easy. And that's a low. Yeah, that's a low number. That's easy, right? And then then the the hot meals that predominantly went to the seniors, you know, I can tell you that I did did that like three times a week, 50 – uh, meals a day. That's 150, a, a, you know, a week. Where does that come from, Stuart? Because I always see you doing things in the community to help somebody else. And I mean, you're not the richest man in the world. So where is that coming from? So, so again, I got to shout somebody out. A lot of people have poured into me and caused me to do some stuff. And so it's not a secret that I was in prison and that I served almost 20 years straight. And a guy named Roach Brown said to me once, he says, Stu, the way you get through this, the way you deal with your pain, with your suffering in, 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 in this situation, confinement, right, is you begin to help others. And in the midst of helping others, you kind of forget about, you know, the pain you're going through, you know, mm. or you, you, you trivialize your own pain when you start appreciating the pain of others. And so uh, I took that to heart. And he told me this a long time ago when I bumped my head the first time and and went to prison. But um, I remembered it and it became true for me. 
So how long, how many times were you in prison? You said the first time you bumped your head. So, so, so twice. I, I went as a young man and Roach Brown uh, started something called Inner Voices. And initially, Inner Voices was his theatrical group in prison, but it got him out of prison. And then he created a, a youth kind of intervention project under Inner Voices. And I was one of the very first youth who was indoctrinated into, into Inner Voices, and they got me from under a five to 15 year sentence. Uh, I will forever be indebted to Roach and his team. I shout him out all the time. He get mad with me a lot, you know, because we don't agree on a lot, but he created this monster in such a way. Then I, I came home and, and, and you know, I slipped into incarceration again. I learned a lot. I wouldn't trade my experiences for anything. It's made me who I am. Mm. All of what I give to the community, the person that my family loves, is a result of my education and my learning through that process. I started reading during that first period, but I didn't act on it until that second period of incarceration. And, and one of the things I read was Malcolm a lot. I read a lot about Malcolm. And, uh, and, and one of the things that Malcolm talked about doing was that since so many black men are in prison, what we should be doing is, and these are his words, not mine, we should be trying to turn every prison in America into a college campus so that our brothers and sisters coming home would be better equipped to deal mm. and manage society's ills as they are. And so that's mm. what I was in Lord trying to do. And we jumped right in. Um, yeah. Go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell people who you are and what you do. My name is Stuart Anderson. I am the executive director for Family and Friends of Incarcerated People. That's F-F-O-I-P. In addition to being the executive director and founder of Family and Friends of Incarcerated People, I'm community engagement director for the Anacostia Coordinating Council. I just so happen to be currently the Democratic State Committee man on the Democratic State Committee for the Ward 8. You have three jobs. Well, not in that. Hey, I'm also co-founder of Don't Mute My Health, right? <laughs> so that's we. If I keep going, you keep counting. You'll find that I'm doing a lot of work, just mm -hmm. trying to make our community safe. Because all of these things are intertwined. We have a serious public safety issue in this country, and that issue is graver and more detrimental to the growth and development of people in our urban centers. And so I operate inside the District of Columbia. I do some work over in Prince George's County, um, but predominantly east of the Anacostia River, Ward 7 and 8, I am entrenched in the work of trying to make our community safer. And I do it through a number of different organizations. I'm currently, as, as we were talking earlier, uh, I'm trying to find relief aid for excluded workers. That's one thing that I'm doing. I'm now doing that in partnership with the Far Southeast Collaborative. Tell people um, what excluded workers are. So excluded workers, right, are individuals who did not receive any type of aid from the state or the federal government. They couldn't file and get unemployment. You know, excluded workers include individuals who are what we call gig workers. You know, the lady who does half for a living 
or the mm. or, or, or the corner uh, 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 barber that's bouncing around house to house, cutting people half for you know to make ends meet. The cat that's fixing your car, the guy that cuts your grass, and they, and they're also sex workers. Um, these are people who perform. However, you might think about the tasks that they perform, they are worth something. And when this pandemic had, came. When the COVID-19 virus began to spread across America, we decided people needed help. And so the federal government gave out $1,200. They recently gave out $600 more. People were allowed to go file unemployment who couldn't go to work as a result of the COVID. They were given an extension so that they could get more support through unemployment. But there's this whole pool of people, including people coming home from prison, who couldn't get a job because of the COVID, who has to contribute in some way to wherever they are. So we thought about it, a group of us. What do we do? Do we just let these people languish? Do we just let them starve? Do we just let their utilities and everything get? No, they need aid too. It sounds like you're someone who's always looking out for the people that are uh, you think are unseen and unheard. I mean, this group that you're saying who can't have access to the stimulus. I mean, most people aren't thinking about this group. So first of all, let me just say thank you to you for that and for your service. But I want to pivot and talk a little bit about healthcare, specifically for groups like that. Our healthcare system has a lot of challenges. And part of the reason I started this podcast was to elevate some of the issues on the ground around healthcare for people uh, from underserved or under-resourced communities. So what are you seeing with respect to healthcare? And, you know, what do we need to do to improve healthcare uh, for the people you're serving? The number one challenge to healthcare, as it relates specifically to people who live east of the Anacostia River in Washington, D.C., is that there is no full service health facility. And so, because there's no hospital, right? And somebody said, well, you got some, you got Georgetown and you got, you know, Washington Hospital Center and you got children's and all of that. So for, for, for depressed people, for families of modest means, right? That means catching a, catching a cab, catching an Uber, getting a friend to get you there. So transportation is a problem for people of less fortunate means when it comes to healthcare, right? Not having a trauma center, right? Is, 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 is almost a death sentence for certain groups of people. Not having a OBY female OB-GYN, doctor. Yeah. OBY, mm-hmm. yes. Not having that type of a doctor readily present in, in close proximity to where you live, you know, is a problem for women. And that's a challenge when you, um, the closest facility can't service you for your ailment. Right now we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? And so everybody's talking about whether we should or whether we shouldn't take the vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) And? (laughs) And so everybody wants to talk about what they do know. And, and, and oftentimes, we are gnawed when it comes to stuff we don't know about. 
And so we listen to the folklore. You know, we know the, the Tuskegee experiment was real. We know because we've gotten all this documentation released in recent years. And so we know that that's real. We face a real threat when it comes to this COVID-19. What I'm doing is I'm saying to people that you have to work with your own conscience, your own knowledge, but be knowledgeable. I recommend to everybody that don't listen to Murray. Don't listen to Martin John. I need you to get real religious with understanding this pandemic and the nature of the virus that might be able to save you from the pandemic. Where do you think people can get trusted information? Where do you so, think they go? I wanna say right now, and, and I know I've said ACC a number of times, I'm going to continue to say ACC because ACC, the Anacostia Coordinating Council, it's an organization that's 30-something years old. They are a trusted voice when it comes to bringing people together about serious issues that affect our community, our city, and our region. And, and, and the... Um, Black Coalition Against uh, COVID, right? Yep, I'm a member. Yeah, so 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 they they come on almost monthly to give updates. Um, the coalition is made up of all, all sorts of doctors. There's a doctor Yolanda Hancock, uh, Professor Williams, who's from Howard. I get them mixed up. These are doctors who I, I you know, they say, Stu, you should take the virus when, you, when it comes to your turn. When you, you mean the vaccine? The vaccine, not the virus, the vaccine. That does not give you the virus, by the way. Does, that does not give you the virus, right? And so those are trusted voices. These are people I rely on. As I say, um, along with a guy named Ronnie Webb, I co-founded something called Don't Root My Health. And it's about looking at the current trends when it comes to healthcare in our community, and we are listening to the trusted voices around the vaccine, and everything indicates that people should take the vaccine. We got to buttress the demonization of the vaccine based upon an experiment that took place a long time ago. Am I so naive that I believe that something couldn't happen, that there couldn't be something out there? Sure, something could happen. Murphy's Law is always in effect. But again, I lean on my trusted messengers. Thank you so much for everything you're doing, Stu. But I have to say, I, maybe I'll nominate you to be a CNN hero. Keep making those sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I got to do that. I told Lamont the other day. I said, Lamont, we got to fix up a batch of uh, those hot meals um, and, 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 and get them out to our seniors so they know that we're still here. There's so much more to talk to you about. I'm going to have to have you back on uh, in a few months and keep talking because we didn't even touch on community violence, which oh. is something I really would like to talk to you about. And yes. also the kind of support we need to be providing for people who are coming home from prison and jail. So yeah. to be continued. 
definitely. And remember, go visit the website, info, F-O, F-F-O-I-P. Go to the website. There's a way to donate right there on, connected to the website. Um, you can also go to the ACC website, Anacostia CC uh, website. And, uh, of course, you can support any of the organizations that I spoke of. You don't have to give to me, but give to somebody so that we can take care of us. Right on. Thank you so much, Stuart, for, for this interview and for all your work in the community. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the pleasure to be able to talk about That was Stuart Anderson, community activist in Washington, D.C., helping us understand the range of services he's provided during the pandemic to help his community. Thanks for listening to the Grapevine Health Podcast. Our producer is Nicholas Elias. Please like us on social media. You can find us at Grapevine Health on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Health Grapevine. Until next time, I'm Dr. Lisa, signing off.